0: It all depends on who you choose to be around. Mm. Um, And that's the fantastic thing about being out of high school. Um, It's fine to be that person who says, please get degrees. But if you want to be a high achiever, then you shouldn't be around those people because they'll just make you feel embarrassed for wanting to pursue something more. Um, And the difference between school and uni on that point is that marks at high school um, tax-
1: so as i mentioned them one of the interesting things that you've been a part of um, particularly recently is the new podcast you co-created um, with Vis called greenfluence um, and as I mentioned before, Green is all about sort of um, ESG, sustainability, finance, things along those lines. And um, you're obviously creating that with Vis, who I've known you know, for quite a while, um, dating back to high school. Um, but obviously, me and you have met quite recently. Um, so just to kick things off, Maya, I just wanted to get a bit of an idea of um, your background and your story, particularly in high school. Um, what was your sort of experience in high school and what was your approach for those that don't know you?
0: Yeah, so I was privileged to be able to go to a private school on the low and low shore called Winona. Yeah. And I would say that I've always wanted to be an all-rounder kind of person. So I was academically driven and unashamedly so. But I also wanted to build up that repertoire of interests outside of studies. So I really threw myself into a lot, particularly sport. And I've been playing tennis since I was five. So I joined the Tiltley tennis team and I even did basketball, gymnastics for a semester. And then I fell in love with singing. And I basically signed up for all the singing choirs that there were, um, did musicals and did some drama and debating, and really had the opportunity to, you know, go and test things. And from that perspective, um, it's really important to be able to build that identity capital from a young age. Mm -hmm. And when I mean by identity capital, I mean, being able to participate in activities which go towards the core of, you know, finding out who you are and your values. And For me, I really found that being on the SRC and, you know, leading the change from being the voice of the students Mm -hmm. was something that, like, triggered some leadership qualities in me, and I wanted to explore that further down the track, um, as I'll mention with Webb. Yeah. But high school is a funny place because your whole world exists in a vacuum all your relationships with your peers and your teachers form the world that you know and all the drama just gets exaggerated and blown out of proportion <laughs> and so it's really difficult to separate your identity from the group and it's you know what we're fighting is that groupthink. um so particularly in the last stage of high school you know I said no more of this drama um I realized you know there were I needed to be with the people that would support me and encourage me to be who I was.
2: Mm.
0: And, you know, you need to develop those stronger relationships uh, with people that don't pressure you to conform. Yeah. And it enables you to develop a stronger sense of self, but also develop your voice. Mm. Um, And because high school is such a microcosm um, and you'll realise that life, there are so many microcosms. There's work microcosms, there's friendship groups, um, but throughout all of this, you do need to stay grounded. And one way to do that is also to be kind. Um, Be kind to others, be kind to yourself. Treating everyone with respect is really important to learn, especially going through high school. Um, And don't... Give your time or attention to people that don't respect you or don't Mm. uh, care about you because there are many people out there and you can't make everyone happy. Yeah. Um, You can't be liked by everyone. And (laughs) so you need to take that approach of, like, what is realistic and make those genuine friends who will be from all walks of life but, you know, who will be there throughout your tough times.
1: Yeah. And you brought up a couple of good points there, particularly about sort of the idea of groupthink and conforming. And, you know, for me and I think a lot of a lot of other, you know, high school students, you know, there's a, you, you just want to fit in, right? You want to be accepted amongst yeah. your peers, right? Um, and I think you, you brought a good point about, you know, that's not always sort of beneficial, particularly when, you know, you're trying to sort of, you know, figure out where your passions and interests may lie, right? Um, so I think that that's a really, really good point you, you bring up there, Maya. And, you know, at the beginning of your answer, you talked about how, you know, you attended a, a private school, a Winona school, I believe. Um, and, you know, to date, I don't think we've had someone, you know, from a private school on the podcast. Um, and as I was just mentioning to you uh, a minute ago, like, you know, from someone who didn't go to a private school um, and from the outside, it gets a bad rap, right? I think that's, you know, fair to say. Um, whether rightly or wrongly. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was sort of your private school experience. You know, obviously, someone who went to a private school, um, what was your experience um, you know, like in private school? And can you speak to some of those sort of mis- misconceptions that sort of surround you know private schools?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, you definitely see after, you know, high school that this bubble bursts and you're suddenly in a world where people don't go to private school. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, I just said really grateful that um, you know, my mum worked so hard to be able to put me through all those years. And he really did give me a lot of opportunities to do all those activities that I mentioned. Mm. Um so there are my my experience was very positive. Um and I don't think I fully understood the whole private school structure and how it all worked and, you know, who was the daughter of who until <laughs> I left, <laughs> uh, which was, yeah, it was quite interesting to learn about as you develop and now step into the professional world. And so moving to that perspective of stereotypes, um, mm. you can see, I think the most common stereotypes would be from like banking industries or legal industries as well uh some um you know you look at uh the parents of children and who they are maybe senior executives or ceos of large companies Hmm. and there's that stereotype that comes out and says oh daddy got you that job (laughs) right right and it's well Yes, to an extent, that you are better positioned at a young age in terms of professional networks. Mm. But it comes down to that individual to recognize their mm. position of privilege. And I can say, not many students understand this. Um, I wish I understood that a bit more myself. And, you know, you, it comes down to having gratitude and understanding. Your position but reflecting on where you sit in the whole um, society as well Mm. and so without a bit of gratitude you don't understand that you know these are people that will be your friends and that you will not form professional connections to them but you know they have possible networks that might um, be able to help you you know, whether that's in business or just in life. Mm. And so I think anyone can make it or, you know, can succeed without having this starting point or wherever you started. Um, It just takes planning and determination and grit. Yeah. And there's there's a a lot of other stereotypes, but this is the main one.
1: Yeah. That's a good point. You, you, you brought up there. And like, like this is not meant to be a political statement at all, but, um, you know, it's all good and well to have, to be put in a position of you know opportunity, but at the end of the day, like the onus is on, you know, you as an individual to make the most of that. And, you know, for every person that, you know, might've succeeded in that, given a particular set of circumstances, there might be, you know, 50 or hundred other people who, you know, didn't take, take advantage of, of those particular circumstances. So I think that's a, that's a really exactly. good point you, you bring up about, um, essentially, um taking initiative and, um, you know, earning things based on merit. And I think that's something that, you know, might have, um, you know, been a big factor for you uh, moving towards university and throughout your corporate and legal experiences. And so Maya, you know, obviously you you attended that private school when you were in school. um, And I wanted to focus on sort of that transition to your university experience. Um, Were you someone that, well, you mentioned already that you were quite open-minded. Um, you were academically inclined, but that wasn't—that didn't define your story um, whatsoever. So, moving to university, um, did did you sort of have a clear idea of what you wanted to do and a clear idea of where your passions of interests lay, um, or were you someone that was still trying to figure that part out?
0: Uh, I did not have a super clear idea. I don't think anyone does. Hmm. Uh, it's funny, it makes me think back to, I think, year 10, when everyone goes into a room with like a career counsellor and you do those tests, yeah. those aptitude tests of some sort and say, hmm, based on you know what you like doing and your marks, I think you'd make a great engineer. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd be like, okay, uh, I don't like engineering, but thanks for the opinion. <laughs> and so... Beforehand, I actually wanted to be an architect like my mum. And that was what I, you know, was aiming for originally. Architecture was also law. I'll talk about that later. But then I did some work experience in architecture during that Year 10 Work Experience Week and I found out that's really not what I wanted to do. I love the designing aspect. I love the creativity, but the drafting did not suit me. So I wanted to explore some of the areas that I really did enjoy in high school, and that was, you know, economics and mathematics and also a bit of design thinking and um, writing. And I wanted to also give myself that optionality um, to really go and explore different careers. And I saw that Macquarie University had this great applied finance degree and instead of you know just doing a commerce and law degree um i wanted to go to macquarie and really hone in on that finance and statistics side and so i chose that because it really i believe that it did give me the most options um mm. to really drive my career and not be determined so much by market factors
1: yeah 100% and yeah that, that, that is a good point you bring up about um, you know, optionality and sort of giving yourself flexibility, right? Um, because a lot can change you know, over the course of a degree, right? Um, you, might go, you might go in thinking you're gonna have a particular um, you know, job or position that might totally change by the time you finish your degree. Um, so you touched on there that you studied uh, law and applied finance at Macquarie University. Um, I just wanted to get an understanding of sort of your experience, um, you know, at the law school or the business school, Um, you know, what what was was your sort of approach and were there some misconceptions that you had about law school or business school that didn't, that turned out to be totally inaccurate or false, or was it sort of what you thought it would be?
0: So there definitely was a lot of statistics. Hmm. That was a bit of a shock. But <laughs> no, um, I it was it was basically everything that I thought it would be. Um, yeah. Applied finance was a great mix of financial concepts with economics and statistics, and then the law side. I didn't do legal studies at school, um, but I did enjoy reading widely, right. and law has been a big lesson in learning to consume a lot of information, being able to turn that into advice and then also being able to communicate that back. Hmm. And I think I heard someone saying, I don't know, it was on another podcast um, that law, if you don't want to be a lawyer, don't do law. And I disagree with that because law provides you with those frameworks of understanding how society is structured and understanding the policies behind you know company policies simple ones like work rights and being able to know your own rights and where you stand on things and that's incredibly important Um, it empowers yourself powers the people around you and those skills are very very um difficult to otherwise gain and so the law school puts you through that
1: yeah 100 percent. it's really cool to hear um your insights into you know, some of the like the principles and lessons you've learned um by attending law school it's not all about sort of the technical information uh, i sort of went in you know in my own experience i sort of went in thinking that uh, okay we're going to learn about the more substantive side of law like oh where do you find this crime and this section and part of the act. Um, but as you know, like you, you probably don't even remember anything you learned in your first your first like four years of law school or whatever. Um, so it's less it's less about the substantive side of the law, but more about developing those skills and sort of principles which you touched on, which I think is really beneficial for students to hear as well. So I just wanted to ask Maya on a more general point, you know, based on your own experiences at law school and business school and you're at university more generally um, what were some of the pieces of advice that really you know helped you navigate that experience and I suppose following on from that you know what advice might you give to a early on university student uh, in those first couple of years?
0: Mm, I love this question um, and because university is tough it is one where you need to be organized and you need to develop an understanding of people that you might not have encountered before. Um, so in terms of excelling academically, I would say it starts with your mindset. There is no magic pill to make you study throughout the night and they'll get you good grades. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it all depends on who you choose to be around. Mm. Um, and that's the fantastic thing about being out of high school. Um, it's fine to be that person who says, please get degrees. But if you want to be a high achiever, then you shouldn't be around those people because they'll just make you feel embarrassed for wanting to pursue something more. Um, and the difference between school and uni on that point is that marks at high school are tangible. You know, you know that your ATAR will determine whether you can get into a course but at uni your marks are not tied to anything certain so it's very tricky to keep that mindset of you know yes i want to keep working hard and getting good marks mm. if you can't see that outcome of why you're doing it and so you know a number of like 5 hds is not going to land you is not going to guarantee you a job right and I think you need to start thinking about what is your bigger picture here and what's the mindset that you need to adopt. It's probably one that, you know, you want to keep learning, you want to keep thinking practically. How am I going to apply, you know, thoughts, for example, in the real world? Um, And I know that's tough, especially with a ton of reading, but Mm. then that connects to the second point of meeting and learning from as many people as you can. that's in your class or whether that's classmates who have done this subject before everyone will everyone who's gone through this and there's you know thousands of students with you one of them at least will be able to provide you some perspective on how this can be uh, used in the real world
1: Mm, yeah yeah and and like it's no secret that obviously you've excelled academically at university but it's also refreshing to to hear you talk about how you didn't sort of limit yourself in that capacity and you didn't um you know getting good grades wasn't the the defining factor of your degree um, and i think a lot of people fall into that trap and i definitely did early on as well um so and, and i think the point you raised about um the the importance of marks and how it's not really tied to anything tangible um i think mm. that's that's not really a bad thing in, in some respects because it it sort of gives students that freedom i guess um, and, and flexibility would you sort of agree with that with that statement
0: yeah totally um yeah. i think what's most important is actually learning how to start you know genuine conversations yeah. and um looking back at it i you know like i don't remember torts very much
2: but <laughs> yeah.
0: i do Remember the yeah. friends that I have made in that class and the adventures that we've been on, um, the events that we attended at uni and, you know, even playing pool after class during a very intense summer school, you know, that those are the highlights if I had to reel it back in my mind. And so um, you are going to be tested on everything, like uh, personal, personally, it's going mm-hmm. to be very challenging. And so, you know, you, just need to get involved with everything that you can and be yeah. kind to yourself and be kind to others. And if you can, go travel.
2: <laughs> yeah. I know it's
0: hard in COVID, but do it, you know. Go, you go on exchange. Um I went to first to Singapore for a summer entrepreneurship program.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, that was an amazing, very intense two weeks and followed by some other, you know, travel around Singapore. And that was amazing. I'd never been out of Australia by myself and met so many people from Singapore, just love the culture. Go on, yeah. ramble about that. But the 100%. next one was um, to Malaysia. That was actually for a leadership symposium and spent a week there actually learning about humanitarian affairs and what Organisations are doing to work towards the Sustainable Development Goals. That was quite amazing. And
1: are these all through Macquarie University, or these like things that you did and applied for on your own, or how did that come about?
0: Mm. So the first one to uh nus was through the incubator at Macquarie University. Right. And then the second one was uh, by scholarship with the Macquarie Business School.
1: Okay. Okay, so they're all sort of associated with your university experience. Okay. Um, yeah. Perfect. And you mentioned there just a, a few minutes ago about, um, you know, trying to expose yourself to as many things as possible. And, you know, one of the things that you did at university was join the um, Macquarie University Women Entering Business Society. Um, you've been involved with the society for, um, in a couple of capacities, including as president and chairperson. So, for you know, potentially a Macquarie University female student, um, early on in their degree, um, what sort of things um, does um, you know Web offer, um, and how can that student benefit from joining that society?
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, web is really close to my heart, um, and not only just because I'm a female, but you know, I had that experience working or uh, trying to enter the finance industry and that's when i saw how people were thinking and that that needed to change and if that didn't change you know not many women are going to be able to enter the same industry and so web provides that community and those resources Mm -hmm. um, to help female students just realize their aspirations in you know, any field of business. Um, and we recognize that there are still glass ceilings that need to be broken. and we work with companies to actually help that and make um, female candidates be able to enter those industries that they want to. Um so there's a very pervasive issue of gender inequality that you know stems through still all the industries. Um, So we provide that really valuable network and have those important conversations with male and female peers. Um, And personally, you know, I didn't just step into President or Chairwoman, um, but I actually started out in a finance society and, you know, I saw, I organised one event for women in finance and could see how that room shifted their conversations and it was so powerful. Um I could see that, you know, women were starting to see other role models and they didn't think that it was possible before, or they didn't think that they could get there. And from that point, you know, that became one of the core values of who I am and the causes that, you know, I will forever want to contribute to.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned there about uh, the point of sort of visibility and sort of seeing people who, you know, look like you basically in, you know, careers that you might want to be in or positions you might want to be in. Is that a big part, uh, you know, about web? And I suppose your uh, like perspective more generally, um, is a big part of it like seeing women in finance and having that sort of um, like group around you? Or or is is it something, am I totally off there?
0: Uh, Yeah, on the right track. Yeah. Um, it's not just seeing women, but it's just having that support and community.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, we talk about, like, I'm not in, involved in the society activity anymore, but I'm very close friends with, you know, the executives who are leading that now and mm. we have our own roundtables and we talk about everything from, you know, work to managing work and life. Yeah. and I don't think um, without those conversations that, you know, just simple questions of, oh, should I be asking for a promotion or how do I manage this situation at work can be, they need to be open, they need to be discussed.
1: Yeah.
0: It's a platform to do that.
1: 100%. And, you know, obviously um, the society... uh, Provides a lot of opportunities for students to you know, network, develop their skills through a range of um, you know, workshops, competitions, et cetera. Um, and a big part of uh, Web from the outside looking in is sort of the sponsorships and the partnerships you create with you know, some of those big sort of financial corporations. Um, so, Maya, I just wanted to ask like, you know, through those events, I'm sure you were exposed to a lot of sort of inspirational female leaders in business and finance. Um, you know what were some of the key like, sort of lessons you might have learned you know from those people um, was there anything in particular that stood out to you
0: yeah so very you know grateful to have crossed paths with so many influential leaders mm. and our key events would be you know like international women's day breakfast where we did inter society um, breakfast with the other female societies from UNSW, sydney uni etc and You know, from that, you can see that what we're talking about, let's say, balance or gender equality, it's not just a woman's issue, it's a business issue. And women don't lack motivation. They don't lack the skills or the experience, but they do lack opportunities and supporting workplace policies. Mm. And that goes to the heart of the structural change that um many organisations are you know yet to implement and so you know i've learned particularly that you need to be your own role model mm. and that's not just for women but that's anybody you know you have the confidence but if you know you don't build those important relationships around you and have the support of the people then it's um it's very hard to succeed further um, because you know sometimes it takes guts to do things. Yeah. And let's say that's asking for a raise or you know sending a feedback email yeah. can be a bit scary for your junior. So there is no secret magic. Um, it's it's just that a lot of Organizations need to realize that there is a lot of benefit in having diversity, not just of gender, but of thought.
1: Yeah, 100%. And Maya, like you mentioned there, that, um, uh, you know, well, I suppose that the society is sort of helping, you know, female students, you know, enter the business and finance, you know, industry. And, you know, you've done that um, yourself through a couple of, you know, corporate experiences. Um, whether it be, you know, an internship at PwC or in your current, well not your current, but your former position at Bank of America. And so I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about, um, you know, those corporate experiences and what it was like sort of entering that big scary world of um, uh, finance and business.
0: So when I, well, my first experience was at PwC. Yep. And before that, I didn't have any other experience on the applied finance side of my degree, so I really wanted to go out and you know experience what it'd be like. Firstly, at a, one of those big four companies, mm. and then secondly, um, working on like working on multinational company issues, like those big commercial matters. Um, which really impact a lot like in terms of the people who are involved but also, you know, the world. Like this is, mm. it, it's far bigger than, you know, your your boutique law firm. Right. Um, and so I really asked for, um, you know, a lot of insights from the people that I met through those networking events. I did as many insights. Programs as I could. Mm -hmm. And I really was able to set myself up to, yeah, move into the corporate tax team there for the summer. Um, And through that, you know, I could see exactly how people broke down those issues from, you know, tax to legal structures and how the whole team just needed to help and work on one little problem. On that whole space um, and so from there you know I found that I really enjoyed the people I really enjoyed working with uh, in a large organization but I didn't mm. particularly enjoy the type of work that I did right and so that led me to apply for um, more roles in the finance space um, more like global markets investment banking and equities and you know I I went through so many of those firm presentations mm-hmm. that I knew. Okay, I didn't want to do equities. I didn't want to do global markets. But everything that I enjoy doing, like all the strategy work, or the um, leadership and teamwork and analysis, was really centered around that investment banking um, industry. And so, yeah, I applied for Bank of America and went through some, you know, tough but good interviews and yeah. landed myself that summer internship.
1: Yeah, so those, so those, both of those opportunity, opportunities at PwC and um, Bank of America were internships. So um, I wanted to ask, just sort of broader point of internships, like, um, you know, a few of the conversations I've been having, um, you know, a few guests have brought up the fact that as a, as a young university intern, um, you sort of think that you have to have so much experience, technical skill, have to have the best grades to sort of work it, uh, at these companies through internships. Um, like, I'm just curious about your approach to to that um, inter- internship, sorry, internship experiences. Um, did you, what was your sort of approach in that respect? Um, did you think that you had to have a lot of technical skill or is it more about sort of the soft skills, the interpersonal skills, things of that nature?
0: Hmm. Well, it's a tricky question because it's very the double-sided. Like you need right. to have a level of skill and knowledge in order to be able to apply. But also they say that, you know, they don't expect much from you. Yeah. And you don't know where you stand on that. Um, so I guess from what I have experienced, it you do need a level of competency to be able to, um, fit the role of like right. investment banker or law clerk yeah. um, but it really just comes down to what you can do to build those foundations aside from you know just studying right
2: um,
0: because luckily we're in an era where we have access to a lot of information online and a lot of courses and I before the investment banking application process um, I went online and I did a couple of Um, courses through Forage which is you know that online practical learning platform and I broke down I think the valuation of Apple and of Tiffany Mm -hmm. and could actually use those hard technical skills even though you know it wasn't like an internship or um, a program that I could get a, a, a proper certificate for but it was something that I could really speak to in the interviews. Mm. And so I was able to use that to highlight my eagerness to learn, um, be right. able to find out the solution to problems, which, you know, if you don't have uh, like a, a mergers and acquisitions case study in your degree, well, nothing's stopping you from going out and reading the news and doing one yourself or doing a project or right. starting a blog about it,
2: mm. you know.
0: and yes, then there's that soft skills side of it, which is extremely important because that carries on over to any industry. Um, so like building up your communication and teamwork yeah. and particularly commercial awareness.
1: Yeah, 100%. So I suppose like to, on one hand, you have a lot of like sort of or you have a few corporate and financial experiences. Um, and on, on the other hand, more recently, you're sort of gaining more experience in the sort of the, the field of law, right? Um, You sort of had a couple of, um, you know, positions as like paralegal, like clerk type positions. Um, So I just wanted to know, you know, for those that don't know, where exactly have you worked? um, What sort of things have you been doing? Um, And just tell us about those opportunities uh, more generally.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Particularly in the law industry
1: or just? Yeah, specifically the law, law side of things, yeah.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, so I have been working in a boutique law firm for three years and we focus on you know family wills and estates, commercial matters yeah. like leases and I'm paralegal there and you know it's a it's a great experience working in a smaller size firm because you actually okay. get carriage over matters. Um, so I've had the opportunity to you know draft documents and understand the process of like serving of um, you know addressing clients and yeah. you know the yeah. importance of that first interaction um which is you know i heard that a lot of uh, students who choose to go for you know the big six firms um, don't get that exposure until further down the track so that's one way that students might be able to address that you know technical skills gap Um, Mm. and then i also started working in an ip law firm as well um focusing on ip litigation matters and that's as fairly technical in terms of intellectual property
1: and just on the back of those like uh, experiences you know in a few of our previous conversations as well we sort of touched on uh, the difficulties it is to actually land that sort of first um, legal exp- uh, opportunity. I know for me, in my own experience, I think I mentioned in a previous interview as well, um, that you know I was working for free for like eight, nine, 10 months, right? Um, obviously like, you, know, you wanna get paid for, for work, right? But um, I think volunteer opportunities is, is, is a way for law students particularly to get their foot in the door. Uh, at least that was my own experience. So, you know, did you have a similar experience in trying to get that, that first opportunity? Was it difficult or did you get get a job on your first application? What was that sort of experience like?
0: Yeah, oh, there's this running joke that you need like <laughs> five years of experience in order to get that entry-level job,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Um, I started looking for work experience around, I think, mid- middle of my second year.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And you know, I looked at my resume and I said okay there's like there's a ton of stuff here. I've got you know a ton of competitions with the law society like I did negotiations, client interview, but it wasn't it wasn't um enough to compete with you know students who have been in their fourth year and you know worked at a couple of mm. firms before yeah. and I basically needed to this time like you know how I mentioned about the importance of um, building genuine connections I needed to reach out to those um, friends and you know previous colleagues and mentors that I had and I told them you know I would like to gain some work experience Um, and you know I I had to ask and um, it's not something that you know, maybe younger students are used to like asking right. for help.
2: Yeah.
0: Um. And, you know, it was really great that I was able to intern as well part time in a law firm in the city, also unpaid. Um. That yeah. you know you get to work with some great solicitors and from mm. that understand, you know, some of the things like how to lodge court documents and how do files work. You know, yeah, not not just the arbitrary. Like, tell me, what are the elements of
1: yeah you know, the contract? Yeah,
0: one
1: hundred percent. And yeah, as we as we sort of touched on a few times, it's less about the sort of technical and um, substantive skills, but um, you know, more about the the connections you've made. And uh, by the sounds of it, you're able to leverage those connections to you know create opportunities for yourself, which is really cool to hear. Um, Maya, I wanted to sort of pivot a little bit um, and change pieces uh, and talk about your interest and passion for entrepreneurship and design thinking. Um, obviously, that's something that you're you're really passionate about, um, and you've had you know a couple of experiences you know in that space in Singapore and at the uh, Macquarie University Business School. So, um, I was just wondering if you could tell us about you know where that passion came from. Is it have you always been passionate about that space? Um, were there some defining experiences along the way um uh, what's your your experience been like in that respect
0: yes so my passion for this space came about looking at um, different startups and also you know having a long kind of seeded desire to want to design things for global good um i remember doing some random Wix website when I was year nine and I thought this is going to be a great (laughs) idea still there (laughs) um but you know then I moved into this corporate world and there's a a misconception that you know profit and sustainability is mutually exclusive and you can't do much for the environment unless you know you're out there hugging trees or going on (laughs) boats and you know, saving whales. <laughs> but this podcast really explores the different areas of sustainability, ESG and climate finance, in relation to financial markets and economics. Um, so it's very relevant for young professionals and students who actually right. want to understand how their work can already intersect with these areas of you know helping our planet and being sustainable. Mm. Um basically, making sure that our future does not die and that, you know, our kids will have a home and a place um, to live that is green.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so Green is yeah. more than the podcast. It's it's really a community um, and a community of professionals who are empowered to actually create change within their organisations. Um, and we explore all these niches of impact investing um circular economy and mm. proving that you know they can that we all can do something better for the world
1: yeah and to be specific with greenfluence um what sort of like content are you producing is it so obviously as you mentioned you're, you co-created it with this um, is it you two having a discussion are you bringing on guests what can listeners um, expect from greenfluence um you know moving forward?
0: Yeah, well, we are not profits in this area, <laughs> and so it's important to be able to hear, you know, expertise from our guests that we bring on from, um, you know, nonprofits, but also mm-hmm. peers. Um, so there is a wide range of perspectives, and not everyone knows everything about all the areas, and so right. we are really just cracking down on um you know the misconceptions around what all these areas are like esg um and yeah exploring the different niches because there are so many
1: yeah 100 and it gets me thinking of something you said like um would have been half an hour ago and you talked about how in our society today there's like a there's an abundance of information and um everything is really accessible now there's a lot of accessible resources so i was wondering does that sort of principle apply to you know why you and Vis created this podcast to you know increase access to the, the wealth of the information that all these different people in you know finance or esg have was that a part of the motivation or my way off there
0: yeah well said um yeah. definitely yeah. because this area is really it, it's evolving still And it's a very clouded area of, you know, what is sustainability or um, how does climate finance work? Yeah. And we wanted to just create those connections between the information and um, connections between people.
1: Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's sort of um, one of the reasons why I started, you know, my own podcast as well is to... um, you know, give people that, um, you know, real life, you know, practical um, experiences. I think, you know, in one of the emails I sent to you with some sample questions, um, one of them was specific about, you know, starting Greenforms, the project. Um, and I think, you know, with my conversation with this a few days ago, um, we talked about how, you know, you often hear of, you know, a podcast or a project or a startup, you know, down the line when it's really successful, um, you know, whether it be two, three, four years down the line. Um, But, you know, we're in quite a unique position in that we get to speak to someone who's, you know, living that um, experience of of getting their project up and running. So, you know, give give our listeners an insight into, you know, what it's like actually creating GreenFluence. Obviously, it's in its very, very early stages. Um, You've recorded a couple of interviews to date. Um, has Has it been a challenging process? Was it easy? What's that experience been like? Uh, in those in that initial establishment phase.
0: Yeah, it's definitely been a crash course in learning <laughs> yeah. about podcasting and about creating communities. Mm. Um, because <laughs> yeah, I have not really touched um, like a microphone or a video editing video editing software before.
2: Yeah,
0: but uh, it's less so of the you know the technical skills which you know we are upskilling on. Um, but it's more i I found that the challenges were, you know how do we cha- channel these ideas and passions into an understandable stream or um, a, a medium that we can communicate easily to people because yeah. you know, it goes it goes to the point about everyone has different passions for this mm. area, and um, you know, I think that, like young professionals particularly who will then eventually move up into those positions of manager and uh, executives are in the best position to enforce structural change. And so identifying the people for this community particularly has been um, quite tricky and, you know, understanding how we can build it that will actually create some change. And so we're thinking about, you know, those creating our own educational courses and mm. playbooks and things that are practical. Um, so yes, it, it has been a challenge. Like ideas are, yeah. are fun to throw around and to, you know, you have so many, but then you, you start and then you go, okay, this has to keep going. Like, <laughs> you know, you've no. got to push past, I think the 20 hours in the beginning to keep something up. Um, and so I think we'll just see as time evolves. This project will also evolve.
1: Yeah, so come back of, to me and yeah. A week or so I think yeah, I think Vince actually said the exact same thing. Come back me, come back to me down the line. Um, like you mentioned there about the project evolving. So initially, it's a it's obviously a podcast. Um, and but you guys were talking. I think we had a group call, three of us, and you, you were talking about how you want to sort of expand it and build a, a community of resources. Uh, I was wondering if you could just speak a, a bit about, um, you know, what GreenFluence is and what it offers um, uh, its community members.
0: Yeah, sure. So um, it's it's basically the idea of having a community of um, professionals from all different walks of life. Yeah. And learning about how they can intersect their work with, you know, a cause that they are passionate and will go towards um, helping the planet and enabling a better future for us. And so, you know, some of the details haven't been written out yet, but they are definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, we we already speak to you know lots of people individually, like we share, tag each other in links on LinkedIn all the time, and you'll probably see it pop up. You know, oh, <laughs>
1: like seen, check I've out this it. report. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> and. There should, you know, we were thinking, let's make this um, a structural way to spread this information and actually mm. encourage debate because we're always on calls and uh, with people uh, from this community already. And, mm. you know, the most powerful thing is to have people in force together.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, as a uni student, I mean, obviously, if this is recently graduated. You know, you guys co created this project together. Um, And obviously, I'm a university student as well. And I started this um, project while I was at university as well. And all the people who I've interviewed have started, you know, some sort of, you know, passion projects, you know, themselves as a university student, even if it wasn't their intention to, you know, build this thing up to pursue in the long term. So I was just wondering, you know, would you encourage other students, you know, to, you know, um, you know, pick a particular sorry, pick something that they're particularly passionate about, the a tongue twister, um, and turn that into some sort of project? Uh, and do you think that being a student gives them, you know, a great opportunity, you know, to pursue that project, given that we have so much time, um, we don't have that much commitment, we don't have a family, we don't have, you know, mortgage, this, that, and the other? Um, is there something about being a student that, um, you know, lends itself to creating these projects?
0: yeah absolutely. Um, and like to add on to all that, you've got uh the possibility to fail in a safe environment. you know you yeah, like if you imagine uh this is your life, I don't know, sorry for the people listening. you can't see this <laughs> but this is your life. Hmm. this is your school, this is your university, and looking at that, maybe this. Is your time on, you know, like this year? And so, you know, in the grand scheme of things, um, that safety net of being a student, like, will enable you to test and trial and explore interests which you, you know, might not have known before. Um, It's like expecting uh, a person to pick up a tennis ball and then say, oh, he's going to be. future tennis player like you have to try as much as you can and that includes you know going out and practicing um execution and i think that's one of the toughest things executing executing on your ideas um on you know your plans like you're going to study now all right let's do it right so this time when you have a little bit more time and you know information is out there and um you can explore different areas but you know the real reason why i think starting projects like this is so important is because it goes back to your identity capital um, right. yes it helps with the resume and everything else but it enables you to you know demonstrate who you are um, for me you know this has not been like a a prominent um, passion which I was saying to everyone but it's always been you know wanting to do something bigger than out, you know myself and mm. you know in bringing people together in force um, and if you have the time if you've got uh, an area that you want to explore like writing uh, learning how to code or doing an app or a side hustle or a business mm. and now is now is the time
1: Now's the time. Yeah, that's a great message, I think, that a lot of people, a lot of students uh, would benefit from hearing. Um, Maya, as we draw to the end of our our time together, I I wanted to touch on, you know, one thing that you flagged um, to me prior to the interview, which is about like um, the idea that um, or the misconception that, you know, corporate careers and sort of startup interests, you know, can't be compatible with each other. Um, you know, I just want to get your, your perspective on that. Um, are they something, are they both mutually exclusive? You know, can they be you know, joined together? Where do you sort of stand on that point?
0: Yeah, they are very different worlds. Um, right. As much as I try to want to work in both, there's a reason why startups are smaller. They are focused on high growth and on you know taking on an enormous amount of risk mm. uh, versus you know your traditional corporate or law firm bank um, but I think that all students will benefit a lot by learning about entrepreneurship even if they want to go into a corporate career because of the thinking um, of you know thinking fast of working in different teams and different projects mm. and I really am drawn to the idea of entrepreneurship, which is applying entrepreneurship but inside a corporation. And there are ways to still explore, you know, your interests in startups. Um, for myself, like I still go to all the pitch nights, um, or the startup events, and even looking to make some angel investments in the future. Um, but that's, you know, a world which I know that I need to gain some skills in the corporate world first um, before thinking about uh, possibilities in the future.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, And I think, yeah, I I I haven't been exposed to the idea of entrepreneurship previously, but you mentioned a great point there about, you know, um, pursuing entrepreneurship doesn't mean that, you know, you have to create your own business and, you know, um, sign your life up to um, entrepreneurship in the future. Um, because I had a conversation with someone yesterday um, who will also be on the, the podcast and they said pretty much the exact same thing um, you know she's actually created a couple of businesses mm-hmm. and you know she encourages students to uh, pursue entrepreneurship even if they don't see themselves in that field um, you know long term because it it teaches you so much you know um, you know about the world around you but as you quite 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 rightly mentioned it teaches you so much about yourself as well and I think that sort of encapsulates a broader theme about about this conversation, which was, you know, the idea you've mentioned a couple of times, which is um, identity capital um, and sort of finding, uh, sort of uh, creating your identity and um, figuring out um, sort of where your skills and interests lie. And um, she mentioned that on that interview yesterday, and I think that's something that um, is prominent throughout this interview as well, Maya. Um, So Maya, we're pretty much out of time. Um, It's two minutes to midday. Um, and it is a sunny Sunday uh, afternoon. So I wanna get you out of here um, to enjoy it. Um, but Maya, just in closing, I just wanted to ask like, you might've already mentioned it previously, but um, was there any sort of final piece of advice, tip or guidance, which you'd really wanna get across to someone um, who might be in the later high school years or early university years? Um, and you know, if you haven't already said it, um, what piece of advice would that be?
0: Mm. Well, it run to the, it goes towards the ongoing theme of yeah. learning and your mindset, mm-hmm. and making yeah genuine connections, um, because you know you have a limited amount of time in the day, and the best way to learn is actually through speaking to people, um, and that means you can also try a lot of things and discover interests in many areas of life. Um, So that has been probably the most eye-opening decision for me in terms of, you know, what my mindset was after school um, to, you know, how I got here today.